Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Your knowledge is beyond our understanding. And yet you know us all intimately here and you know us all personally here. And you know what we need to hear. You know our hurts and our sadnesses and our joys and our fears and our delights. And I pray, Lord, as your word goes out tonight, uh, that you would implant it deeply into our hearts and our minds. That you will fill us with wonderful truths from your word tonight. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. So each week in Philippians, we're going to look at a particular theme. And our theme tonight is partnership. It's the word that comes in verse 5. Let me just read verses 3 to 5. Uh, Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. now what Paul does, he says, look, I'm, I'm here in prison in Rome and you're over there in Philippi. But because I'm in Christ and you're in Christ, then we're actually partners in the gospel. Because you believe in Jesus and I believe in Jesus, that makes us partners in the gospel. As so I want to do tonight is really flesh out what that word partnership really means and what it would look like for us here at 7pm church if we really grasped what it was for us to be partners in the gospel. Let me give you four examples of, of partnership to try and help you grasp what that word really means. There's a church in the US and it's called the Fields Church. It started 10 years ago with 10 people. So God gave uh, this man, this pastor, a real heart for this particular area in the U.S. as a new housing development there. He thought, that, that is a church. So he gathered nine people, and these ten people prayed for this new church to form there. There's a very famous pastor in the U.S. I'm not going to say his name. You've probably pod- podcast his sermons or read his books. Uh, but this man was so convicted that this little church of ten people needed support, needed prayer, needed money, that he personally, he personally committed to pray for this church. And he personally funded this church. And he personally visited these 10 people and spent time with them and trained them and discipled them. And then get this, he personally went to preach at this church. Now this man is used to preaching to, to the thousands, to the masses, but he went on a Sunday and he preached to 10 little people in this little suburb. And even today, 10 years later, where that church is growing from 10 to hundreds of people, this pastor is still partners with that church. He loves that church. He prays for that church. He gives to that church. That's a kind of model of partnership. I'll give you another example. There's a church in, in Northbridge, the Anglican church in Northbridge. Uh, they're in partnership with a church in Walker, which is in northern New South Wales. And it's a little church in Walker. This little faithful evangelical church would, would have loved to have done some kids' ministry to reach the local schools. But they don't have the people and they don't have the resources. And so this church in Northbridge decided to send a team up to Walker every September. And so this team from Northbridge, they give up their holidays, they give up their annual leave, they give up their work for a week, and they give up their time and their resources, and they go to Walker, and for a week they're in a holiday club, and they serve that church. 
That's a kind of partnership. But it's more than just that. You know, they, they, they love them, they serve them, they pray for them. That's a, a gospel partnership. Let me tell you about another church here in Sydney. This church in Sydney was a, a growing church, an Anglican church. Uh, and they already had two assistant pastors. And they needed a third assistant pastor. So the parish council meeting to talk about the finances to put on an additional pastor. Now one of the godly men at the parish council said, hang on a minute. Yes, we're a grown church. And yes, we need another assistant pastor. But you know what? We've got two already. And there are other churches here in Sydney who would dearly love an additional pastor, but they don't have the funds to do it. So how about we sacrifice our pastor for two years and we actually fund an assistant pastor at another church here in Sydney for two years that could never afford an assistant pastor? Isn't that amazing? And so for two years they went without so they could fund someone else to work at another church where they desperately needed more workers. And it wasn't just money, you know. They developed a bond and a relationship and they prayed for them and they loved them. That is gospel partnership. Uh, one more story. Uh, when I worked at a church in Hampstead in, in London, uh, the church there couldn't afford their staff. And so my salary was entirely funded by one generous businessman who lives here in Sydney. And he paid my salary for two and a half years. I, I know that he did more than just send money because I used to meet with him about every three or four months when he flew across to London and as we had lunch together he knew about me and he knew about the church and he could name people in the church and it's, it's obviously been praying for us and I had breakfast with him two weeks ago and he still knows about my life. It's kind of this, this beautiful partnership. I think that's what Paul is talking about here. You've got this Philippian church with Lydia and the jailer and the slave girl, you've got Paul who is 10 years down the track. But you just get this overwhelming sense that he loves them and he cares for them and they're in this gospel work together. Now, that word partnership in verse 5, often translated as fellowship. Uh, the word fellowship, uh, please get rid of all your ideas of you know a cup of tea and a slice of cake and a nice chat. It's much more than that. It's this bond, it's this unity, it's this togetherness. The word is actually a business word. You know when you have business partners? When you have business partners, it means that, that you've got a, a group of people and they've got this common goal, this common vision, and they've, both, they've all put in money and they've made sacrifices and they've worked hard together to, to grow together in this business venture. That's what it meant for them to be partners in the gospel. Now, do you know that Everybody here who is a Christian, if you're here tonight and you're in Christ, that means that you are partners in the gospel with every other person in this room tonight. You know, the person three rows behind you, who you may never have met before, if they're in Christ and you're in Christ, you're partners in the gospel. And these, the people in church that you do life with all the time, they're your partners in the gospel. It's more than just a friendship. It's about rolling your sleeves up, getting your hands dirty, and serving God and growing his kingdom together. And you know that we've got mission partners here at Church by the Bridge? At 7 p.m. we've got uh, Andrew and Stephanie Browning with William and Christopher over in Tanzania. They're our mission partners, yep. Now I hope that for you... 
it's not just their photo on the, on the screen once every two months and as Linda comes to give the update. I hope that your heart actually pounds for the, the browsing in Tanzania and you know what's happening in their life and you pray for them and you love them and you care for them because that's what partners do, isn't it? So what is our gospel partnership going to look like here at 7pm? So a few things for us tonight. Here's the first one. If we're, if we're really going to be partners in the gospel... Uh, number one, we should be thankful for each other. We should thank God for each other. Let me read verse 3. Paul says, I, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, what struck me is is the the number of words which are kind of, they're, they're total words. My every remembrance, always praying for all of you in my every prayer. And you kind of get the idea that Paul is in his prison cell and, and he, he's going through his prayer list. And the Philippian church comes up and as he prays for the Philippian church, he remembers people by name. And there's Lydia and there's a jailer and there's a, there's a slave girl and there's that couple that, that became Christians. And as he thinks about all these people in Philippi, his first thing he does, the first thought is, I want to thank God for them. Praise you God for your grace shown in the life of that person. That's the mark of being partners is that you express your gratitude to God for each other. Sadly, I don't think there are many pastors who would say honestly that when they think about all their congregation members, the first thing they do is, is give thanks to God for them. And I don't think, let's be honest, when you think of all your brothers and sisters here at 7pm, when you think about people by name, the first thing you do is thank God for them? Let's be realistic. This church in Philippi wasn't perfect because it was full of people. And people aren't perfect. And I'm sure that there were people in Philippi Philippi who had let Paul down and disappointed Paul and betrayed Paul and hurt Paul. But as he sits down to pray for this church, he doesn't whinge and he doesn't grumble and he doesn't criticize. He actually thanks God for them. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, that you opened their hearts. Thank you, God, that you've kept these people. Thank you, God, that you're growing these people. See, thankfulness and gratitude to God for each other, it's got to be a mark of us here at 7pm. Paul overflowed with thankfulness and gratitude for his brothers and sisters. Do you? When you think about people, are you overflowing with gratitude for them? It's funny, I think gone are the days where we sit down and we write those sort of handwritten thank you notes. I love getting them. And I love getting it because it, it shows that somebody's actually stopped and thought and taken time to write, thank you, thank you, thank you. And gone are the days where we even bothered to say thank you, just for things like, you know, thank you for the music, thank you for the sound in East tonight, and thank you for Aaron and Clem on the, on the Pro Center, and thank you for the way that you serve us. And, and maybe our, our lack of gratitude or expressing of our gratitude to each other Maybe that flows on from our lack of gratitude to God for each other. I just wonder whether if we actually thanked God for each other more, it would radically transform 7pm church. Why don't you try it?
go home tonight and just write down a list of names of people that you met at church tonight or write down a list of names of people you know at 7pm. How about you start with the people that you find most difficult to love at 7pm or who have hurt you and write down their name and just get on your knees and thank God for them. Thank you, God, that you have saved them, that you love them. Number one, thankfulness. Number two, affection. Deep, deep love. Deep, deep affection for for this church. Paul is... Paul is not a professional pastor. Paul is a people person with feelings. Because Christian relationships are not supposed to be devoid of feelings. We're not supposed to treat each other like business partners. We're supposed to love each other deeply. You know at um, at funerals when you have the eulogies? And I love the eulogies at funerals where you hear all about the people's lives and what they did and what they achieved and where they went and where they lived. And I love all those facts about people. But what I love most of all is when the person giving the eulogy just says with, this, with tears in their eyes, I just loved him. I just loved him so much I'm going to miss him. It's like a wedding, isn't it? You know, when they have the wedding speeches and you know, everyone tries to be funny but what you really want to hear, oh, by the way, congratulations to you guys. What, what, uh, uh, what you want to hear at a wedding, you want to hear the father of the bride just say to his daughter, I love you, and I'm so proud of you. Isn't that what you want to hear? When Paul thought about the Philippian church, he just basically says, I love you. See that in verse 7? Look at it with me. Paul said, it's right for me, it's proper, it's natural for me to think this way about all of you. Because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment here in Rome and in the defense and establishment of the gospel as the gospel is proclaimed. And he calls on God as his witness. God is my witness, he says, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says, whenever I think about you, it's right for me to think this way. Uh, in my head, all, all those names of the people, and, and I can see your faces because I have you in my heart. See that phrase, verse 7? I have you in my heart. He's kind of saying, I have this deep-seated personal affection. My heart is pounding for you. You're special to me. And you imagine Paul sitting in Rome going, Oh, Lydia, to see her growing in Christ. And, oh, that slave girl who's just like, she's gone to Bible college. And, and, and the, the jailer and his family who are just, <clears throat> they're going great guns for Jesus. He just loves these people. And this is not a facade. It's not a show. It is not fake. The word used in verse 8 for affection. I miss you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's literally the word bowels. He said, I, I, I miss you with the, the gut-wrenching yearning of Christ Jesus. And this depth of intimacy and concern and relationship. And, and that's got to be here at 7 p.m., hasn't it? We've got to love each other well. We've got to care for each other well. We've got to miss each other well when we wander or when we leave. You've got to be concerned for your souls and for your well-being, haven't we? It's really hard to love each other well if we never actually bother to turn up at church. And it's, ne- it's really hard to love each other well if you never actually share anything about yourself. 
And it's really hard to love each other well if you just stick in your little cliques with the people that are like you or that you like and totally ignore the rest of 7 p.m. But, you know, when you share your life with each other and make yourself vulnerable, you share your highs and lows and you cry with each other, it's okay to cry, isn't it? Now, when you cry with each other and you love each other and you're affectionate, that's going to make 7 p.m. a beautiful place, isn't it? You know, we're supposed to love each other. And we're supposed to love the people who have left 7 p.m. When, when, when you think about the people who used to be here at 7 p.m., and I know that we say, oh, 7 p.m.'s changed, and they've moved to 9.45, or they've moved to 5.30, or they've moved to different churches. That's okay. But we should, we should have this deep yearning and longing for those people. How are they going? Are they still walking with the Lord? Are they still thriving in their faith? Now, your affection for people, it doesn't just happen, you know. It starts with the gospel. It starts actually because you love Jesus and, and you know that they love Jesus. So you're bound together by grace. And it starts by praying for them. And then it starts by actually showing your love in practical ways. A letter, a phone call, a text message. Just showing that you love them in deed as well as in declaration. There's a church that I deeply love. It's back in Oxford. It's my first church. It's called St. Ebbs. In Oxford, and it's almost like every time I hear about this church, I just want to cry because I kind of I feel so deeply for them because they were so profound in my in my early Christian life. And you know, I think of Alistair, my first Bible study leader, and I think of David who discipled me, and I think of old Harold Puttock who prayed for every missionary every week, and he really put mission on my heart. And I think of David and Susie Fletcher who taught me what biblical hospitality is really like and I just love all those people and I love that church and surely you've got you've got churches that you love churches from your past and people from your past that, that you love and that you care about how are you going to show them that your partner's in the gospel still maybe tonight phone them write to them text them whatever it is and say I, know, I love you and I'm praying for you so we've got to be showing our love for each other here at 7 p.m. Number three, we've got to pray for each other. I love that Paul doesn't just say that he prayed. He tells them what he prayed. See his prayer in verse 9. Look at it with me. Paul said, I pray this. That your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Now Paul believes in prayer. Paul is committed to prayer. When Paul thinks about this church in Philippi, he prays for them. And now I'm sure he prayed for their practical needs. I'm sure he prayed for their health and for their building projects. And I'm sure he prayed for their work situation and their finances and all their relational breakdowns. I'm sure he prayed for all that practical stuff. Of course he prayed for that. But what does he leave with us that, and he tells us that he prayed for? What's he most concerned about for, for the Philippian Christians? He's most concerned for their spiritual lives, isn't he? He is praying, verse 9, that their love would keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And there's, there's no object for that word love. Is it love for God? Is it love for others? It's, it's both, isn't it? 
As you love God more, you'll love others more. He prays that they would love God, that they would have a, a knowledge of God, that they would literally, verse 9, abound more and more in the knowledge and every kind of wisdom. He prays that intellectually uh, they would feed their mind with the word of God, that they would feed their mind with the word of Christ, that they would know God more, that they would understand God's character and his complexities and his magnificence and his glory and his majesty, and they would keep on growing in their love and knowledge of God. But it's not just head knowledge. See what he has at the end of verse 9? That they would grow in every kind of discernment. And that word there is, is almost like the, the common sense word, the, the, uh, the wisdom word, that they would make wise choices in life. There's a, a pastor of a church in Seoul, uh, and he shares his interview processes for employing new staff or new ministry leaders. He says, oh, I basically ask them questions about five areas of their life. The Bible, that's good. A theology or doctrine, that's important. Uh, their leadership stuff, their, their, their leadership skills, their pastoral care skills, and their common sense. Isn't that interesting? Because you can have all the right Bible knowledge, you can have all the right theology, you can have all the right leadership skills, but you can just be really unwise in the way that you live and the things that you say or the things that you do. And Paul prays that these Philippians would grow in their common sense, if you want, so that, verse 10, they can approve the things that are best in this life, the, the wisest thing to do and the best job to take and the best relationship to pursue and the best way to spend your time and the best way to spend your money and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, looking forward to that last day that they'd be ready to meet Jesus, pure, verse 10, without blemish, without uh, fault, spotless before the throne. And blameless is a word that you don't cause offence to others. You don't cause other people to stumble. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that you are displaying all the, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All to the glory of God. It's an amazing prayer, isn't it? Let me ask you, when was the last time you prayed for a 7 pm -er like that? When was the last time you sat down and prayed for somebody else here at 7pm and prayed that kind of prayer that they would grow in their love and knowledge of God, they'd be discerning and they'd be pure and blameless. Now, of course it's right that we, we pray for the people who are looking for work and we pray for the people who are lonely and we pray for the people who are sick. It's right we pray for all those things, but we've got to pray for our souls. We've got to pray for our spiritual lives. We've got to pray for your walk with Jesus. So do it. This week we're kicking off hive groups. That's just 10 people or 12 people. Write down the name of people in your group and pray verses 9 to 11 for that person every day this week. That would be a great thing to do, wouldn't it? Can you imagine how 7pm will be transformed if we were all praying verses 9 to 11 for each other? Can you imagine how God might answer that prayer and our love would abound for Jesus? Do you pray that for each other? Do you pray that for Andrew and Stephanie Browning? or for Dave Irving, or for the voice of the Mars, or for compassion. Now, Andrew would love for us to pray for his physical health. Of course he would. But his, his deepest desire was that he, he would pray for his soul, that he would love Jesus. 
I hope you know that I pray for you. I hope you know that I actually pray for every single member of Church by Bridge every week. Just go through the, go through the, uh, the database and pray for every single member every single week. Praying for your souls. And if you do pray for me, I'd love your prayers, you know, to be a better pastor and a better husband and a, a better father. But, but most of all, I, I crave your prayers for my walk with Jesus. That I would love Jesus more each day. So partners are thankful, they are affectionate, they are prayerful. And lastly, we have confidence in God. Verse 6 is the most liberating verse. Look at it with me. Paul says, I am confident, I am sure of this. That he, that is God, the God who started a good work in you at your conversion, he will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Paul looks back onto that first day when the gospel hit Philippi and said, you know, uh, I am so confident that God actually converted you and your spirit is alive in you and I'm confident that God will keep you to that very last day. And that is liberating. What God started, God will finish. Can you imagine it if, if Lydia was here in church tonight and I interviewed Lydia and said, hey, just, just share your testimony. And she, like you and I, might say something like, Oh, you know, I was a God-fearing woman and, and I was at this place of prayer and the Apostle Paul came and he started talking about Jesus and, and it's like, yeah, I believed and I gave my life to Christ. And if the Apostle Paul was here, he'd say, yeah, that's partly right, but you know, you've missed out an important phrase. Because Acts 16 says, God unlocked her heart. God unlocked her heart. That is so important. If you're here tonight as a believer in Christ, it's not because you chose God. It's not because you chose to believe. It's because God in his mercy and in his majesty chose to unlock your heart to help you to see and to believe the gospel. It is God who started the work in you. And so it's God who will finish the work in you. And if you're here tonight and you're lacking assurance and you're doubting and you're questioning and you're thinking, am I going to make it? If you're in Jesus, you will make it because God will hold on to you. Yes? And you know the people at Church Bibles at 7pm who you know, they, they've, they've wandered and they used to sit here and you're kind of going, oh no, this is disastrous. You've got to believe that if God unlocked their heart and the spirit was alive in them, then God will hold on to them and God will bring them back. And that is liberating, isn't it? Now, this confidence that, that your growth and your keeping to the very last day is all in God's hands. It's the most liberating truth of Scripture, isn't it? And so when you pray for each other, pray confidently that it's God who keeps people. As I look back on my ministry, I think of a, a guy called John, and he was, you know, when you do those youth camps, if you ever did youth work, he's that sort of that, that rebellious 14-year-old who, who mucked around in every Bible study, in every talk, and refused to believe, and 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 then the penny dropped in about when he was about 16 and something like God unlocked his heart and he gave his life to Christ and I was thinking wow that's a miracle and, and the skeptic in me goes but you know is that for real is he really converted now 26 years down the track he's a pastor of a church in the UK walking with Jesus praise God for that eh and I remember a guy called Roger who walked into St. Ebbs and he's this cool, trendy guy and they, the cat was backwards and he was ridiculously good looking and I found out he was a male model and I'm thinking, there's, there's no way in the world that he's going to become a believer. Now, six months down the track, God unlocked his heart. 
he gave his life to Christ. He's married a Christian woman and three Christian kids still serving the Lord 26 years later. And then all those stories of, of people who once sat here and they were believers and they are believers, you've got to believe that God will hold on to them because it's God who starts the work and it's God who finishes the work. Amen? So Church by the Bridge, 7pm, I'm, I'm excited by what we're going to look like in 2017. If you grasp these four things, if you actually did these four things for each other, if you thank God for each other, if you really loved each other well, and if you prayed for each other well, and if you really trusted that God's in control, not you and not me, then 7pm would be a beautiful place to be, wouldn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so good and gracious, and thank you that you've given us uh, each other to be partners in this gospel. Uh, Help us, Lord, to... uh, Be thankful for each other, to pray for each other, to love each other, to trust that you are at work in each of us. Uh, Help us, Lord, here at 7pm to display this partnership in in practical ways to show that we really are on mission for you. In Jesus' name.